This call may be recorded or transcribed. Hello, my father. Uh, hi, Ernie. How are you, Ma? Doing good. How about you? Well, kind of a busy day. <laughs> so, and then uh, Nicholas and Sophia called, just got off the phone with them. Oh, nice. So, so, How's she doing? Oh, they are doing well because she's okay. uh, fine. She has no real symptoms. She had a stuffy nose at all, but she was positive. She's wow. okay. And Nicholas is uh, doing well. Good. Okay, so what would you suggest that we do? Well, you, you felt like you, I think you said you felt like you hadn't really gone over all of chapter 11. I did like a really yeah. super hyper fast summary of everything last time. Why don't you uh, start by just going over what you remember from chapter 11 and any thought, other thoughts okay, you yeah. had on the book? I, yeah, that's what I thought. Maybe we'll finish off uh, chapter 11 and then um kind of go back over it and i would still like i mean i mean if you want we can have one more session discussing the whole book or you know from the i haven't looked at these transcripts from last session i'll do that and send you a private email uh, my response to it but so um the end of chapter 10 is when uh shacklin dies he he dies and uh they did a cremation, but now this chapter starts uh, with what's happening at Damri Fong, and uh, the basically it has become a shrine for Shaklin. Mm -hmm. He's um, actually you know, a, they a series of shrines, really, right? Uh, no, only in that place. But I mean, it's a series of shrines. There's like a Buddhist one, a Hindu one, a Muslim one. You uh, no, think of a shrine uh, as being like a single... Was, yeah. Yeah. What I meant by shrine was they have his um, ashes in a, mm. a thing. And then the uh -huh. uh, house in which he lives, um, they uh, have everything there. Uh, then they have the hangar the airplane is still there, and all his tools are there. I mean, all the parts are there of the play of the spare parts. But then mm -hmm. there are a couple of rooms there, like in the house where he lives, and one of them has um, five pictures in one of the rooms. But before that, in the the they have a small museum there in the house where he lives. Where uh, mm -hmm. um, there his tools are displayed, and the interesting thing is, they are people can touch them and handle them reverently yeah. by the pilgrim, and uh, somebody cleans them and greases them and things like that. That is interesting. And yeah. then in the other room there are five pictures, and I think we can guess all the five people that are there, and um, starts with uh, uh, the picture of uh, Tony Shacklin himself, mm -hmm. and then his sister, mm -hmm. and then uh, the uh, Arjun Singh, who was with him the last six months of his life, took him everywhere. Uh, and, yeah. And then uh, one of uh, marriage asked me, um, then lastly, his helper and, uh, yeah. Huh? And the last painting was um, Tom Cutter himself. And he's very, you know, humble. He says, which oughtn't to be there at all, he says. Well, I'm curious, uh, uh, actually, was that modesty or embarrassment? Like, was it like, you know, I'm not that important, or it's like, well, but, you know, like, that's one of the questions I guess we'll get to, is how does he feel about Connie, and how does he feel about his own role in all of this? Right. Yeah. And then, um, pilgrimage happens. The uh, to this place. A uh, lot of them come to visit that place, but because a lot of people cannot go there, like you said, you mentioned the different shrines, but this one was in Bahrain, where, uh, you know, uh, Tom Cutter's business is, and Fahad, uh, the sheikh, wanted to put a mosque there. 
So right. the, to everyone's surprise, RAF agreed to that, and they moved their uh, operations to the other end of the runway. So there's a mosque there, and uh, most people come there because Bahrain is close to the Middle East, all the people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some, some people go to um, the, uh, the uh, Bali. And, and the sister, of course, is uh, in the convent and the school, and he doesn't see her at all. Right. And then uh, they come up with the idea of six books. And people are supposed to write six books, and uh, Fahad has arranged for uh, a group of uh, translators to scribe. He called them three scribes. They speak uh -huh. English, Arabic, Burmese, Siamese, and Balinese. And they're um, publishing books in all these Asiatic languages, uh, mm -hmm. English and Arabic. So the first one is a book called The Sister. Right. Life. Uh, the interesting thing is, you know, I mean, it's not all about his preachings. It's about his life. Actually, right. So I think one part of it, I think there's something interesting about the booking, right? One is that, like, there's this sort of dual purpose, which on the one hand is to like honor his memory and and spread his teaching, but also yeah. very much to try to like, and this this is the irony of of Shacklin's life, is he's huh. always trying to demythologize himself, like he yeah, wants right. people to just treat him <laughs> like a man, and so he's yeah. gonna walk fly around and visit everybody in order to convince them that I'm an ordinary human being, even though it right. actually uh, deepens and accelerates the spread of his cult. It's kind of this weird dichotomy <laughs> yeah. um, there. Dichotomy uh, there, yeah. And this this, this <laughs> run through all that, 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 that whole situation that, there, that everything he does to try to calm it down in some ways makes it worse. <laughs> yeah. And so I mean, there's also this, um, which is mirrored by this ambivalence, yeah. right? That uh, yeah. that Tom Cutter has about his own role in this. Yeah, this is what Tom Cutter says. I think the six books are a very good idea. Already, people are beginning to say that Connie was divine, and legends are already growing up about him. They're inventing right. quite fictitious miracles, which he's supposed to have performed, though, although he never did anything right. of the sort. Yeah. So. So I think uh, he thinks is uh, so that's why uh, some of these books are not really uh, his teachings, but you know his early life by uh, that uh, sister. sister. The next one is uh, Mian, which is a Burmese guy who was with him and Dampri Fong when he was with ah. White Cape after. Uh, right. And the third book is uh, Tariq. That uh, you know uh, is understandable because I think Tariq was writing down everything that uh, right. Tony was saying. Right. Uh, he called it the penny exercise books in Arabic. Right, so, the gospel according to Tariq, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the fourth book is uh, Finnit. Finnit is a, a guy who lived in Bali, the other guy right. who lived in Bali. Right. And he and talked so he about Mary Jasmine. It's all about Mary Jasmine and her love for him. Yeah. And, and the fifth, fifth book is a book of Arjun. Uh, that's... Uh, right. Pilot that went with him everywhere, right? And uh, so, um, of course, the sixth one he says is mine, uh, the, the right? Book of Cutter. Um, so, but he said it's not just a book about uh, Connie; it's about his life also. That is this book that we have, right. we read, right? So, so he introduced his life also there, and. So he's back uh, home. He's arranging for new planes to, uh, uh, just for pilgrimage purposes. Anybody who wants right. to go as pilgrims, so he has 60% off sale. <laughs> yeah. Most people. And, and then the last paragraph, um, I'll read the last paragraph. Yeah. The one before that. Um, as I sat here for the last three months in our back bedroom, writing down everything that I can remember about him and meditating and beginning to wonder if I've been right. Because, you know, oh, the previous paragraph. At the conclusion of yeah. this book, I still don't know what to think about Connie. To me, he was always an ordinary person, a good friend from my youth, 
very fine engineer, very good man. He still got to me, dash, I think. When I sat here, <laughs> then I am beginning to wonder if I've been right. So many men of so many races are now turning to the memory of him, molding their lives upon his example, praying that they may be made as he was. Would any human man exert such influence after his death? What makes a man divine? I can't answer my own question. I still think Tony was a human man, a very good one, very, very good one, but a man. Then he says, I've been wrong in my judgments many times before. If thou I am ignorant and blind, I'm sorry, but it's no new thing. If that should be the case, though, it means that I have had great privileges in my life, perhaps more so than any man alive today. Because it means that on the fields and farms of England, on the airstrips and deserts and jungles, in the hangars of Persian Gulf and on the tarmacs of Southern Ireland, I have walked and talked with God. And he ends the book. <laughs> yeah. So, that ends the story. Yeah. There's a lot of still many questions still. Mm. Well, interesting. It partly answers, I think the question I had at the very beginning is mm. what is this book about? Yeah. Right? Because I was thinking, like, is it about Tom? Is it about marriage? Is it about love? Is it about religion? Is it about God? Is it about airplanes? Is it about business? And, mm. you know, what's interesting is that this gives an answer, which may not be the true answer, right? So from the point of view of the Tom Cutter in the story, who is the fictional author, right, right this story is about uh, Connie Sacklin and this right. movement that he started. And yeah. his life is just a, um, um, what would you call it, uh, a frame for telling the story of Shacklin. Yeah. Um, and that's one way of looking at it. Um, right. But of course, Tom Cutter did not actually write this book. Neville Shute wrote this book. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Right. And so, yeah. you know, the uh, certainly... Jacqueline is the, the, I think we can call him the, the, the central character in the sense that it's his choices and actions that really drive the plot forward. Yeah. Um, in the, uh, you know, the, um, but, and certainly he's the, but, it, but it's interesting, like, like the more I got into the story, the more I felt like the story was really about. So do you want to say hi? Okay, okay. <laughs> Everyone. Anytime someone stops and looks at Frolic, Frolic wants expects them to come over and play with him, walking the dog <laughs> as usual. Um, yeah. You're walking only Frolic or both of them? No, both of them, both of them together. Johan's rigged up okay. this uh, tethered leash thing where I can walk them both with a single leash okay. with two hooks. Um, okay. Anyway. The, um, like the, the, the interesting part to me, what was actually Tom's reactions to Connie mm, and, yeah. you know, his love, his, and, and the word that came to mind, I think when we were, when you mentioned the point about how Tom really disliked the idea of his picture being there. Right. Uh, with the others. And mm. the phrase that came to my mind was self-hatred. There's mm. something, and you know, maybe a strong term, but, mm. you know, I think about that scene where he's talking with the British representative, mm. and he talks yeah. about, this is the first time I denied him, this is yeah. the second time I denied him. This, this. And what's interesting is that in the mm. Gospels, you know, Peter goes through these three denials, yeah. And then Jesus does these three feed my sheep yeah. to him, which seems <laughs> yeah. to be very much a, a, a mirror of those and a sort of restoration, um, yeah. even if it's a bit of an ambiguous passage in some other ways. And the yeah. thing is, is that um, you never, uh, I never get, and, and you know, there's this interesting thing where 
uh, you know, in his marriage where he, you know, over, he rushed the marriage with this one lady and she died. And then he broke up with this other lady to get back to work. And then he, you know, after all that, you know, he ends up falling in love and proposing to Denenza. Yeah. Uh, but then she turns him down in order to honor Connie's memory, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? And and so, yeah. in one sense, it feels like Tom has gotten to some uh, emotional closure where he's ready to get married again. Right. But in a weird way, he seems to have sort of ended up trapped in the same circle as before. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I mean, he feels like he's a more human character, right? Because, you know, the, right. I mean, again, probably just the framing and the distance, but like his his romance, his first marriage, and even the girl that he romanced in England didn't feel very yeah. real. It kind of felt like he was just going through the motions of mm-hmm. romance and marriage. Whereas with Zanetta, they feel like he, you know, it felt like they had like a real relationship. Right. Yeah, but not as an eye So... Um, and, you know, uh, the risk of being a little earthy, but, you know, they, 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 he talks about how, you know, Connie wanted to know if he was sleeping with his sister and Tom yeah. wanted to know if he was sleeping with Mare Dazme, right? <laughs> yeah, he changes a lot. Don't change the subject, he says. <laughs> yeah, there's a sense of, um, um, what was it I was telling a friend of mine? Sometimes it feels like mm. to be a man, you have to choose between uh, sort of self-hatred and self-contempt. Mm. In that, like, because of the, the, the dual roles of a man, on the one hand, you're sort of like, to be a real man is to seize the day and fight for what you want and be your own man and be like the cool kid, the rebel who doesn't care what society thinks. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, being a real man is to be the, the stand-up guy, the guy who denies his own feelings, who does what's mm. right for society and right for other people. And mm. it's kind of like, uh, you know, in, in one case, you, uh, you kind of have contempt for yourself because you don't stand, because you're kind of just following your own desires and ignoring everybody else. But you know, right, you're mm. kind of hating yourself and that you're... Uh, um, you know, ignoring your own desires in order to do whatever else expects of you. Uh, in one case, you're responsible. The other case, you're inauthentic. At least that's kind of the, a lot of the dilemma, I think, of modern manhood, um, which, you know, I think is actually an attribute of modernity, right? In traditional cultures, like you think about like Jewish rabbis were expected to be married, right? Uh, you know, they, they right. weren't. Dis- disconnected yeah. from the life of the community is to be a responsible was in fact to be everything that your family and society expected of you, which could okay. be, you know, uh, claustrophobic, <laughs> you know, if you feel it, but at least you knew where you stood. Um, mm. And it was just, modernity really is the splitting of this responsibilities, you know, responsibility to the state versus responsibility to your family. Um, you know, responsibility to religion versus responsibility to your work, right? There's all these tensions we have in modernity that mm. are, maybe they exist, but they have sort of settled answers in a traditional culture. There's sort of only kind of one right thing to do. It's just the done thing, right? You don't think mm. about it, you don't question it. Uh, and it creates a certain level of contentment like, like one of the most okay. poignant scenes for me about that was when, you know, um, uh, Connie was diagnosed with a terminal illness. Yeah. The Asian view was like, yep, okay, his time's up. And the Western view yeah. was like, no, 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 we got to try everything to see if we can fix this. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, right. right. And, and he mentioned that, of, yeah. And he, it's painted as kind of silly and futile that, yeah. you know, that they're fighting all these rules and jumping through all these hoops for no pair of better. But, like, that's how progress happens, right? Yeah. People who try the irrational uh, hope, uh, you know, the um, unregulated optimism is mm. how you, every, you know, you know, 999 times it's a totally ridiculous failure, but one time in a thousand, a miracle occurs, right? right. And then right. you publish it and then it gets done again. And then suddenly you have modern healthcare <laughs> and you have right, yeah. all these things. 
that in traditional culture, like you stay happier by sort of accepting your fate and to strive yeah, against more fatalistic. your fate. You think it's yeah. more fatalistic? Mm. Well, I like think, Hindu, yeah, fate, I mean, it's a little written. strong way Yeah, it's written it, in your forehead. It, yeah, the, the Hindu philosophy used to be. Yeah. yeah. They'll say, oh, it's written in your forehead, so you cannot change it. It's fate. It's your right. fate. It's your fate. Yeah. Right. Mm. And you know, a lot of the Greek myths and the Greek tragedies, which is, you know, some would argue is kind of the beginning of modernity, was when mm. the Greeks started writing down their plays and mm. kind of philosoph philosophizing about their gods. Yeah. Is when they started to step outside of the box and not just live and exist. Uh, mm. in a continuum, but to live in this dichotomy between mm. uh, who we are and who we could be. So, okay. Anyway, the uh, you you want me to the, respond or? Yeah, sure. Okay, uh, it's interesting that you're talking about that uh, first part. The the whole book starts with this quote from James Elroy Flecker. Some men of noble stock were made, some glory in the murder and blade, some praise a science or an art, but I like honorable trade. That's how it starts the book. So you mentioned, mm. you know, uh, you're explaining what uh, he, he, you know, he is, and then this book, he starts out with the trade and he starts, I came into aviation the hard way, that's how he starts the book. So mm -hmm. that is um, one part of that I wanted to make a comment on. Mm -hmm. My my uh, view of Connie was he started a new movement uh, similar to maybe the wrong way of looking at it. Like the only thing I can think of is the TQM. When TQM came, right? The TQM, number, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, what it's called. I don't. The total quality management. Total quality. Management. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Lean Six Sigma. Yeah, the the, the business movement. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? What movement? Uh, yeah, yeah. It it, 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 it I think became Six Sigma. Mm. Was part of. Uh, okay. The, so you know, now called uh, lean manufacturing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, manufacturing thing, and uh, that they brought it to medical field. And when ah. I first uh, went and attended a meeting on TQM. Something like a bulb went off. Oh, hey, that sounds like a good idea because you know that's where one of the things, if I understood it correctly, is uh, you find out what people want and uh, you produce what they want, and then in the management also you include other people in making. And then yeah, and then right, and then yeah, the whole point is that you build these collaborative teams that have yeah. precise measures and yeah. put some formalism and discipline into something that yeah. has been kind of ad hoc and tradition. Right. So uh, something like that, and people caught on to that thing. So I, from my view of this is, uh, Connie was like that. He developed this system that appealed to a lot of people, except uh -huh. that he combined it with uh, religious beliefs. Uh, the Muslims, he added the Muslim prayer life and other things. For the Hindus, he went with the offering and uh, devotion and things like that. And, uh, right, he like translated. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, one part of that. So, but some people saw him as divine. Some people saw him as a good engineer. And I don't know what to think of him. The thing that I didn't like about the ending here is I don't know why Nadezhna didn't marry um, Tom Cutter. To be that um, explanation she gives looks like a very weak argument. What difference does it make a sister of the Holy One marries? How would that affect his uh, life or his uh, legacy? To me, it was a weak argument, but you know, I may be wrong. Yeah. Like, uh, and I like the best part is where. Uh, oh, sorry, there's, there's two things. <laughs> Uh, uh, sorry, let me just catch what you say. When you say we be wrong, is that you know the so it, you know it could be a weak argument. The question is, first question is, was it a sincere argument, right? Like you know, because you say that well, she wasn't thinking clearly 
because uh, she was kind of stuck in, a, in an incorrect mindset. Or uh, maybe that's not the real reason she didn't marry him. Maybe there's something else going on. That oh, I don't there? know. Okay, because there is no. Oh, so, so you say it's what? Well, so something else going on. Right. Well, you said it's weak. I wasn't sure what you meant by that. It's just that. Yeah, like I said, you, you know, didn't I mean, find it convincing, it... or you, you didn't find it. No, no, no. I, I think you know. I mean, well, Neville Shute wrote it to say that um, if she gets married, it's going to affect the legacy of. You know, it's sort of undercut. Tom, uh, just Connie the sense Shuff, in that, yeah, Connie's specialness. So right? I, 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 I don't think that would have happened, but that's just me. Um, so, you, so, she, so you think it? So yeah, so you think it's not. So, so you think it's unlikely that it would have actually mm. been a problem? Right, right. Okay. But uh, in the so instead of if they, if they had if they had gotten married, let me see the different ending. If they right. had gotten married, and they supported his ministry, so-called within quotation marks, both of yeah. them together, and uh, like they were writing a book, then yeah. uh, it would be a happy ending for me. Uh, whereas now it's right. not a bad ending. <laughs> right. And, but, but, yeah, okay. Well, I think this gets to the heart of the question mm. is why, you know, so let's assume for the moment that Vincenzo was sincere. Okay. You know, that she really, she wasn't just making up a reason to not marry Tom. You know, she was actually stating honestly the reasons that she felt like she could not. And if that's the case, then Nadenza perceived something about, you know, uh, Connie's teachings and mm. his asceticism, if you will. Mm. That, and in fact, I think what she said was the sense that there's something special about him. Mm. And that whatever that thing was, it would have been tarnished by her being more ordinary. And yeah, that's the reason it, she it, said it, that. Yeah. You see, right? Yeah. So the real question is, is that? Well, so I guess the first question is, like, certainly it would have been a happier ending if they had found a way. Maybe you know, I may, I may yet someday yeah. figure out a way to. Uh, oh goodness, the dog spotted another uh, pit bull going this way, which is would give us a little bit of a conflict. Boy, we just have to wait here and let the dog go the other way because. Okay, while you are controlling the dog, let me address that thing. See, at yeah. one point you mentioned this is all about um, people choosing uh, work the, over relationships. Yeah, over relationships. So, so far we talked about Connie doing that, with marriage just me, and uh, Tom Cutter with the other three people there. Uh, so this is uh, Nadesna's chance to take up public service or serving the orphans or educating the orphans over a happy married life to live happily ever after. Right. The whole theme may be that, you know, uh, uh, Tom Cutter has done that a few times. He's chosen his work uh, or his, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, his uh, organization. People who yeah. work for him and all these people, or his personal uh, advancement happiness. or <clears throat> happiness, or, uh, because you know he still drives, uh, drives a Studi Baker or something. Yeah. So anyway, right. station wagon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Is the dog under control now? <laughs> yeah. But okay. I, I think this is actually the this, this maybe getting into the other issue that that mm. we were talking about last time is that. Um, whether or not it's true mm. that work is in conflict with relationships, it certainly seems that way, right? And from this book, yeah, from this book, yeah. But, but, but also in real life, you know, it often seems that way. I mean, even today, like you know, you know my kids are home from school, and I could like sit and play cards with my son, or I could like get work done. And it's a little easier now when they're older and have other interests and people to hang out with. But like, you know, for parents who have small kids when the kids are like, and they're you know, at home when the kids are like three and four and the kids are always saying, daddy, come play with us. You know, it's really hard. You know, it's like easier yeah. when you're out of sight, out of mind and like the choice is made for you. And 
what makes it interesting to me is that there's a difference between activity and identity. Or at least they're not yeah. like because one thing is, is one thing is, so clearly um, you know one I think could make a strong case that the activities could have been compatible, right? So not, you know that Svedenza and Tom had gotten married and you know went to teach in this engineering school that mm. he built up in Bahrain, for example, right? They could have been part. Mm. They could have had an activity where they were supporting the movement and being around and carrying on his legacy and his values and all this sort of a thing. Mm. Um, so they could have had an activity that was compatible. But I think mm. what, what Ludenza was picking on was that there was a sense mm. of identity. And that was the thing I think that Tom himself wrestled with, right? It's very in the book. Is that like, I can see he was a good guy and did a lot of good things. That's easy. But what's interesting to me is that Tom felt like he had to answer this question. Was Connie human or was Connie divine? Like, yeah. This is the thing that haunted yeah. him, right? And that's like yeah. he like kind of blamed himself for denying that. Mm. Yeah. And the question is, is like why? So here's sort of the meta question: is like why did that matter? I guess that's going to be the uh, episode title to go with our versus A versus mm. B format of human versus divine, or yeah. maybe identity versus activity. It's like, well, what does it matter? whether you thought he was divine or whether you thought he was human. Uh, because um, the, like I think this thing was, uh, I remember one of the arguments when uh, Connie was, when they were talking about the inheritance and they said, um, you know, don't compare me to Jesus. Of course you're not Jesus. He was a carpenter. You're a mechanic. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. You know, and, it, yeah. and it's interesting, right? You know, one of the subtexts that I, look at this through one perspective is that you know there's people who make similar claims about jesus right mm. he was just a guy who well, had yeah, a lot a, of yeah, good ideas yeah, just a teacher yeah right yeah and, and that um i think that's know, probably why he wrote miracles. this journey yeah do you, you think mean? that that's why he's uh, mirroring uh his life with jesus with the three denials and uh, other things that we found we talked about that yeah. well you say why what do you mean so that's probably when I will shoot. Uh, remember, he, he mentions those things, right? This is just a carpenter. Right. Or well, certainly, certainly he consciously um, patterns certain things that happens to, yeah. well, again, activity versus identity, right? So certainly yeah. the structure of the story parallels lots of things about Jesus, prophecies of his birth right. and the three yeah. denials and the gospels yeah. and, you know, things like that. Interestingly, the one uh, sort of counter symmetry is that Jesus um, had his sort of great temptations at the beginning, right? Where the de devil uh, yeah. followed him into the wilderness and the temptation for power to do good and things like that. Where at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, Whereas with yeah. Connie, it was at the very end of a deathbed. Um, yeah. So I don't know. But anyway, so certainly... The, the okay, let me, let me say something before I forget it. Before sure. I forget what I was going to say, let me say this. Uh, when you were talking about activity versus identity and the fact that you said, you know, that uh, your children are at home now and then you need to do your uh, work rather than be spending time with them, I think it also depends upon what kind of situation you're in, um, what kind of work you're doing. Because when you are working for somebody else, it's harder to do that. Whereas when you are your own boss, like uh, I was and uh, Tom Carter was, not all the time, but sometimes we could choose to do that. For example, when Nicholas was born, we, uh, they called us uh, in the middle of the night and said, "I'm taking Dad. I'm taking her to the delivery room." Immediately, we looked at each other around. It was uh, three o'clock or four o'clock. So we said, "Why don't we go?" It's our first grandchild. So five o'clock, we left Russia to go to uh, Rochester, which is uh, like uh, four hours away. And uh, at eight o'clock, I called my office and said cancel all my appointments for today 
I'm not going to work today. And I went to spend time with my grandson. And several other times happened like that where I could change some other things. Whereas if I was working for the hospital, they wouldn't have let me do that. Well, it's interesting so because my experience is, yeah. is, is, is actually the opposite. the opposite, right? Because because I have a boss, and he says, you know, he, he can say, he, he's the one who owns whether the business survives. And if he says, yeah. take time off, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it, I can feel free and, you know, no guilt around that. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. you know, when I was an entrepreneur running my own business, and it's like, I'm responsible for things lives and dies, you're like, I'm mm. never off duty. Uh, and I think there's also a difference in, you know, the when there's uh, a startup phase where the business is not well-defined versus when mm. it's sort of like a smooth-running machine. Right. Um, you know, both both kind of bosses, whether it's a self-boss or another boss, can be more yeah. gracious. So, yeah. I don't know. I mean, not all the time. I'm not talking about all the time, but yeah. there are situations where sometimes... Yeah, but there's something. Yeah, again, you know, that's, that's, that's life, right? Life is not but, always... But one of the interesting things about that, though, is in some sense, mm. the having more power, what's the mm. old uh, uh, Spider-Man line, where with great power comes great responsibility, right? When you're old, right. you have more power, but you also have more responsibility. Right. You know, and so... You get to make the choices, but then you have to make the choices. Yeah. And you, know, you cannot do it all, so all the time. You cannot, you cannot do it all the time, right? You know, like if, if right, I'm well, in the middle of yeah. an operation, uh, the, yeah. somebody calls me and says, you know, uh, your wife just fell down the steps or something. It will be very difficult for me to leave the operation and go. Right, yeah. I'll make yeah. other arrangements, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's my question. Being your own boss, that's a question also of the task yeah. you engaged in. Right. But yeah, what's interesting boss, yeah. is um, the, the statement you said. Well, you said I wonder if this was why Neville Shoot wrote this, which I think is a good question to kind of wrap up on. Mm. And you said something along the lines of, well, maybe it's because it. Uh, well, so do you remember saying that statement? Maybe this was why Neville Shoot wrote this. Mm. You remember no, saying No, I don't. That? But go ahead. No, okay. Have <laughs> <laughs> to read the transcript for this one too. But no, like one could mm. look at this, and I'm not saying this is uh, a, a good perspective, but it's a perspective that, uh, uh, I mean, someone who's a skeptic could look mm. at this and say, you know, this is what I think happened to Jesus, right? Is that he was just could a good be. guy, and he, you know, maybe an unusual. Yeah. But then all this other yeah. stuff around, and the people around them, you know, if they'd written it down at the time, you would see all these uh, contrary mm. thoughts and beliefs. And, you know, I, you know, I remember when we were in Jerusalem, uh, there were Jews we met there who said, well, you know, if you look at the stuff that the Jews who were there wrote at the time, they didn't believe Jesus was divine. It was just sort right. of like a given right. to them yeah. Um, yeah. that that was the case. And See, that's what it says, made in the last... Could I thought the thing was, could any human man exert such influence after his death? What makes a man divine? Like you are saying, it's going to apply to Jesus, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. the interesting thing is that, well, you know, uh, I guess one of the things I'm doing these days is trying to avoid false dichotomies, right? Is that mm -hmm. like, well, you know, when easy out, say, well, it's not that simple. Right, first of all, Jesus always made a big point that he was both human and divine, right? I mean, that's classical Christian theology. Oh, and, yeah, you know, right. different heresies tend to pull up one way or the other, either denying his mm. humanity or denying his divinity. Well, like it's both, yeah. it's the first thing. The second thing, of course, is that you get people who are touched by the divine, right? Uh, right. You know, the, right. You know, and, you know, there's people, you know, certainly in history, we look at, you know, the Moses and Abraham, yeah. uh, right? And, you know, and, you know, more skeptically, you can look at the Joseph Smiths and the Mohammeds mm. as people who, like, launched massive movements. Yeah. And, you know, none of their followers would claim that those people were divine, but most of them would claim that they were touched by the divine or, uh, right. you know, had that level. And so, so in a sense, it is a bit odd that Tom Cutter felt the need to, now, in Hinduism, the lines are a lot blurrier. Right, because you actually do have this idea of uh, avatars walking the earth, mm. 
and the line between yeah. hero and divin- uh, divinity, yeah, divinity yeah. Yeah. is 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 very blurry. It seems like yeah. from my naive understanding of Hinduism. Yeah. But what um, so it's interesting that he felt the need to do it, and I um, to 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 that Tom at least felt, you know, well one that Tom the the character felt this tension. Mm, um, yeah. And the you know uh, and then the author Devil Shoots felt you know wanted to frame it that way, right? Um, and I think you know you know one can make a case that you know when you're writing in this Asiatic context, it does feel mm. like a natural question. Mm. The uh, you know it's funny it makes me think of these conversations uh, the Catholics have about communion, uh, about. Uh, I remember when my my friend, the uh, the father at the uh, Big Sur Monastery, mm. was mm. asking about you know well you know but because like one of the big distinctions between Luther and the Catholics was about the substance uh, of the uh, transubstantiation, uh, the, the host transubstantiation, yeah, the substance yeah. becomes the mm. substance of Jesus. Right. And I realized that like wait, the the idea of substance is not a biblical idea; it's an Aristotelian mm. idea. That everything is made of a certain oh, substance, really? oh, right? You know, okay. you know, the, the, you know, the earth, air, fire, and water are subtle elements, but also that his idea is that, like, you know, human beings are made of a certain kind of substance, and uh, in Plato, you even have the sense in which, well, there's like the laborers who are like made out of base metal, and then the philosophers, which are like made out of more like the noble metals, right? And the different mm. people have different kinds of substance to them. Uh, and the sort of hierarchy and race. And now our understanding of you know, molecular science and atomic science is that we're actually right. all made out of the same thing. We're just arranged differently. Right. Right. But before that, they had no concept of that, right? And in fact, right. I even thought that yeah. heat, you know, caloris or phlogiston, I guess it was, was a substance. Yeah. Right. It was a yeah. kind of thing you were. And yeah. by the way, that was very endemic in traditional societies, right? Mm. Is that your caste is your identity. What you're born as is what you are. Yeah. Right. And that if you're in this thing, you are fundamentally different than this other class or type of person. Only when you right. die and reborn can you change. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't know how much of that is Hinduism, how much is other traditional, but this idea of obsessing over substance is, I guess, in itself an artifact of a worldview. And um, this is one of the interesting things about history and philosophy, uh, both positive and negative aspects of it, is that, you know, there's a certain uh, implicit set of assumptions about the nature of reality that we bring, uh, the the, the phrase that I heard from is that that all perception is shaped by theory. Like what you by think theory? the world is by theory. Like the way what you think the world is determines what you see. Mm. Right? If you think okay. though, you know, um, like you know, about the dogs here, you know, the the their 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 yeah. uh you know, their world is pretty much divided into like friend and foe, food and playthings. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and you know, so like, you know, there's a wonderful far side cartoon uh, of mm. like there's the scene where like the city is being destroyed at the end of the world and you mm. know, this guy's driving his car and then the dog's mm. looking at the window and he sees another little dog somewhere and his tail starts wagging right he doesn't mm. care about the larger cosmic or, implications yeah. of right. the universe ending he's just the dog time, yay! right yeah just like you know frolic doesn't really care about what happens to my wrist or my podcast yeah. when he sees a little <laughs> dog or a human being he just wants to go play right he has a very narrow yeah, focus right on reality and these are the things he focuses on because they were adaptive to him yeah uh it's also funny to me that frolic will react to dogs on tv uh and like Mm, bark at them and jump at them and lick them and (laughs) want to play with them and and he literally does not see them at all oh he doesn't even perceive them and i don't know if his brain is wired differently or because frolic Mm. was watching tv as a puppy and it got imprinted Mm. or what um but you know Mm. this idea is that we all perceive different things Based on our worldview, and, yeah. mm-hmm. and and what's interesting is that is that what makes it hard. I, mean, I think this is actually why uh, thinking about this, where it's challenging for Cutter, 
mm. is that, you know, maybe because of his Christian upbringing, he kind of mm. felt like either I have to accept that this is God or I have to kind of reject it entirely. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but, you know, Ernie, whatever is, uh, what you said is true to a certain extent, but even though you say what we do because of our worldview, things can change. You do change. Yeah. Either, uh, this worldview can change, your behavior can change. That's uh, another aspect of that we ha have to discuss. It's true that from your background and uh, from your worldview is what you do things, but there are so many examples of people changing their worldview or changing their behavior because of many things, influenced with other people by God transforming your life. Even the dogs been mm -hmm. training can change their worldview. That's uh, another yeah, topic. Uh, yeah, and I, and I, no, no, I think that's actually a great place to end because I think that's mm -hmm. actually the interesting question for me, getting back to our mm -hmm. last call, is that, you know, yeah. because of where we are at this moment in time, we yeah. see things a certain way and there's certain things yeah. that we don't even see, right? Certain right. things get highlighted, certain things get suppressed, and certain things are, are just invisible. Or, or in some cases, we see things that are not there, right? Yeah. Is uh, the autocorrect phenomenon is when we see something mm -hmm. uh, you know, sufficiently traumatic or sufficiently familiar, we'll just assume it's the same thing uh, mm -hmm. as what we had before. And yeah. then that makes it really hard to see anything different. Because the, the, yeah. the autocorrect in our brain just filters all these things out. But it is possible to reprogram our brains to see right. things a certain way. And, and arguably, that's what modernity is, is in, when we were civilized, when we grew up into these societies, we were programmed to function a certain way because it helped right. us survive. Right. You know? And one of the challenges we're facing right now is that our programming, one, is out of date because the world is changing so fast. Mm. Uh, yeah. And two, that some of the things that were, um, and the other thing is that, is that one of the, sorry, what? What did you say? Sorry, my Brand headphones up. dropped out there. Yeah, sorry. My, oh, uh, okay. is that, one is that our, our uh. programming is, is, it gets out of date. The other is that mm. not everyone is programmed the same way we were. Right. 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 Most exactly. of us grew up in a time and a place where, uh, you know, the people around us, you know, believe more or less the same things we did. And because yeah. we're in a place of privilege, you know, it worked out pretty well for us, right? Yeah. People who were untouchables or who are African-Americans uh, in you know, many parts of the U.S., it, yeah. the prevailing worldview was not at all conducive to their flourishing or dignity. Right. And, right. you know, a lot of these... And that's actually what I want, you know, kind of what I'm focusing on for January and, you know, really going forward with my yeah. uh, practices around DBJ is mm. precisely this thing about how do we reprogram our brains um, for what I call uh, SOC awareness, just as an acronym, which is, you know, is to have greater self-awareness, greater other awareness, and greater Christ awareness. Yeah. And I think that's the interesting thing for me. And I guess I maybe this is a good way to end that. It's like, you know, in some sense, um, I can believe that um, Connie Shacklin represented something of um, the heart of God. Right, it was desire to accept people and welcome all people and have them find joy in their work and things like that. Right. But I never really got a sense of redemption out of this. Right? Yeah. There was a sense of maybe absolution for sins, but not of redemption. And this to me is the thing that is it's been on my heart a lot lately, is I realized that a lot of our Christianity is really focused uh, almost on, well, for lack of a better term, wisdom and virtue. And like wisdom and virtue are good things. It's better to be wise and foolish as whether they be virtuous than vicious, right? Mm. Um, um, or sinful. But 
that's not what Christianity is about. Right? Christianity mm. is about redemption. And those other things are sort of secondary. Redemption. It's about but, redemption, but it also goes further than that, right? After redemption, what do you do? Well, well, well sorry, but, sorry yeah. I use a very broad sense of the word redemption. It's not okay. just justification. I, I include both mm. justification and sanctification okay. under this concept right. of redemption. Yeah. Right? And, and while you're and talking, mm. Mm. go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. So it's like I had this conversation with my uh, cousin in law, Jeff Hubing. Uh, mm. And he says, well, you know, grace is not just about being in a right relationship with God. It's about all these other things. And I said, well, okay, like, you know, growth and transformation. I said, well, okay, I think that's a very, I think the difference is that uh, to be a right relationship is not just justification, not like I don't have anything against you. Right relationship mm. is that you actually understand me, that you are working with me in partnership. And in that sense, in order to be in relationship with God, God has to transform our character and our behaviors so we can understand him. We can be intimate with him so he can treat us like friends who get him, right? It's not just that we aren't his enemies. It's that we're his sons, right? And yeah. that involves all of these different aspects of relationship, not just sort of the very narrow sense of, you know, I was a slave and I was set free. It's yeah. like, I don't want to be free. I want to be a son. Mm. Right? right. And that's a, yeah, that's a good and, and I think yeah. that sort of holistic picture. And, you know, I, I feel like a lot of our theology and our practice is weighted by these older ways of looking at things. Um, and we miss this sort of full three-dimensional redemption that uh, is the real, real heart of the gospel. Okay. Hold it there, right? Because while you were talking earlier, uh, Romans 12, 1 2 came to my mind. And he mm. says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, mm -hmm. that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, you were talking about that earlier, right? Transformation. Um, so uh, that thought yeah. came to me. So, uh, so transformation. Then what happens after that? Uh, your mind is renewed. Your actions are different, and everything else. So okay, all right. Yeah, and uh, and, and I then, think that that's the uh, ah, that that's the interesting thing is. Um, this idea of right uh, duty sort of versus right relationship, mm. um, you know, to go back to Jeff Hubing's phrase, is that mm. the, you know, Connie Shacklin's um, teaching was pretty much exclusively focused on duty, as far as I could tell. Right. On religious observance, right? We may have already used that theme before, religion versus relationship. Um, yeah. But I, but I think I like this idea of actually this phrase right relationship because some people you know can focus so much on relational aspects it becomes very sort of maternal sort of unconditional acceptance right it's just like you know God loves you no matter what doesn't matter what you do or what you think or how you treat other people you know God just wants you to know that He loves you which is almost yeah. true but you know as James reminds no. us, yeah, right, yeah. yes, we don't yeah. love our God, you know, how can we love our brother? If we don't love our brother right. who we see, how can we love God we don't see, right? right. right. And yeah. this idea of uh, righteousness without relationship is equally yeah. hollow, right? right. And exactly. this idea of being transformed into people, you know, both because God, I've been playing with the, the phrase radical acceptance versus just unconditional acceptance. Okay. Is that God, you know, he accepts, and this, this gets back to some of the questions you and I discussed in the last call, is what does it right. mean for me to accept you? Yeah. And it's like, on the one hand, I need to accept that you are what you are. And that's hard, you know, just to see people as they are and who they are now and not see them in terms of what we need them to be or what we want them to be is hard. And so that's really important 
to be able to see yeah. them as they are and accept them as they are. But that is um, the goal is to, um, I guess, get to a right relationship. The things that hinder relationship, we grow in our awareness of what those are and in yeah. our awareness of how Christ is working and, and can work in order to uh, deepen those relationships. What? Right. I can get Quinn to come up so I can dry him. Quinn. It was yeah, it just started raining on the towards the end of the walk. Uh oh. So the dog just got a little wet, but not too badly. Um and so yeah, yeah, I'm gonna copy so, this and keep it in front of me. This this one sentence really appeals to me. I've been wrong in my judgments many times before. <laughs> now I'm ignorant and blind, I'm sorry, but it's no new thing. <laughs> I have to say, when I you want to read that down. line, I, I, yeah. I, thought that was a, I thought that was a very you thing to say. Right? Yeah. I've heard you say yeah. things like that many times before. Oh, yeah, many times, yeah. <laughs> and, because it's true. I've been wrong before. So. No, and then I, I treasure that about you, right? Your willingness to face your mistakes and call yourself out on your failures. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, yeah, I think, that would, I think I like your idea that rather than trying to have a dialogue, you know, I'll send mm. this one too, but you can look at the transcript uh, from last time and send me a letter. I think that'd be good for you to just think through and pray through you right. know, what you've heard and said and what you wanted to hear yeah, no, and say. It, uh, yeah, it made me reflect on some of the things that you said, made me reflect on my life. So when I mm. write to you, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, so where was my focus when I was uh, practicing? And uh, so I've been thinking about that. Uh, what was my motives and other things? So it was a reflection on my life. Some of those questions that you had. So anyway, uh, we'll see what happens. Okay. Yeah, sometimes I feel Thank like you're you so much, busy Mark. reflecting okay. on your life. You didn't even hear what I said. So the other thing we have to figure out, by the way, <laughs> is that this is the end. Okay. Yeah. Is that this is the end of this story, and what do we do next? So maybe we'll yeah. do one more summary call if it seems appropriate. But then we need to figure okay. out where it's funny. You know, this whole thing makes me think about this Michael Ovid book I'm reading, which is his mm. autobiography. But what's fascinating mm. about this, so I gave you, I think, Bob Iger's um, Ride, of the Li Ride of My Life. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which is his, uh, which was, is very uh, similar. And they, the guy oh, who the, the Disney guy, right? Right, he ended up running Disney. He still, I think he's just yeah. retired. Or, but he's retired. what's funny is that that one was very much like, you look at this book, you say, you know, I can believe the rumors that he's running for president. Because he just writes oh. this with such an even-handed, uh, like, mm. like he'll admit mistakes here and there, but he like is very politic in what he'll say and like mm. presents himself in a really good light. Whereas Michael Ovitz uh, basically writes the story as a Greek tragedy, where it's oh. like you know mm. it had this wonderful moment and this was what led to me destroying everything that I value. Like he, he like he sets himself up as the villain of his own story. Oh. And there's a fascinating, uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out, but there's a very different perspective of, like, this is a guy who's kind of like at the end of his life looking back, kind of like Tom Cutter, on all of his follies yeah. and his yeah. own sins that uh, destroyed him. And mm. he, uh, it gives it a very different flavor than the Bob Iger one. Uh, okay. which is very much feels like a polished piece. And so I don't know if that's a good story for us to read together or not, but it, Look, it did see, feel like you know, the sort of thing that would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned this because I've been reading two books. One, a lady gave me Barack Obama's uh, autobiography. I'm talking to my father. That's about 800 pages or something. So I've come up to like 400 pages. Uh, he just has been elected president but in that he's very honest and he talks about mm -hmm. this uh, campaign, uh and he like you said he mentions all the mistakes that they made so um there is a guy in rochelle mike coolidge who's running for senate he's from rochelle so i attempted to have him read that book barack obama wrote because he talks about what all the mistakes they made in their campaign yeah anyway no, here's the, the other thing. side yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's that's the the other, I'll forget what okay. I was going to say. Yeah, you finish. Hey guys, quiet down. 
Well, the second one is clearly simply a book, uh, Garrison Keillor's book. Uh, ah. so, uh, gate at 70, serenity, serenity at 70, gate at 80, and things like that. I just started reading it. The first preface is basically he's looking back on his life. He, he talks about what happened to him. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, interesting things is he was uh, almost an alcoholic. He was a chain smoker and things like that earlier on in his career. And yeah, get it uh-huh. And then he completely stopped drinking and start, stopped smoking, and he's now 79 years old. So, like, uh, you know, most of these people, like Bob Iger and this other guy, Mikeovich, so uh, yeah. they all look back. And you know, like he mentioned here, you know, that uh, uh, everybody, when you look back on your life, is not always all successes, right? There have been mistakes, but uh, from what you're telling me, Mike Ovitz is focusing more on his failures. Is that uh, no, not exactly. Not exactly. I said hmm. it's important, actually. And hmm. it, is it more like a tragedy? Yeah, uh, yeah, because ah, this is the thing. It's not that he made a lot of mistakes, because hmm. he didn't make a lot of mistakes, but he had within himself a tragic flaw. That's the thing that makes hmm. it a tragedy. And because, like, you know, Bob Iger talks about a lot of his, well, you know, in this case, I should have been harsher. In this case, I should have been gentler, you know, or in this right. case, I thought this would be a bad idea. It turned out to be a great idea and vice versa, right? So those are what I would call mistakes, right, is errors of judgment, mm. you know, lack of understanding, lack of experience. What, mm. what is at the heart of Owens' story is he talks about that he, because of his family background and his various elder relatives, he was fueled by this mixture of insecurity and ambition, which was a very potent combination, but I also led him to do some... Well, yes, most of our but what's interesting, well, I agree we all are, right? But what's interesting is yeah. that that tragic flaw is front and center in Obitz's book, but it never showed up in my reading of Bob Iger's book. Right. Mm. It, it was more like, you know, because there was still the sense in that, like, Bob Acker is like, this is why you should trust me, because I'm a really mm. reasonable fellow who learns from his mistakes. Mm. Right. And mm. Michael Ovitz felt much more, you know, Augustinian like of the confession. It's like, you know, hey, this is where uh, these are the things that happened to me uh, because of this horrible flaw within me <laughs> that you should be aware of. Mm. And you know, he's, you know, presumably he's grown past it to be, would be able to talk about it or recognize it. But, you know, he'll just drop these little lines here. It's like, yeah, I had this amazing moment with a relationship where this guy really trusted me and really appreciated me. And I made a difference in his life. And he goes, and that was the last time that ever happened. Or he'll mm-hmm. say things like, you know, and this is when we took over the partnership. You know, it, I was professionally uh, fulfilled and setting myself up to self-destruct in 16 years, right? If you look back and see how these achievements that he was proud of at the time, looking back, he says, oh, that was my ego. That was my insecurity. That was my pride. That was my insensitivity to my friends that set me up for failure. And to be able to look back uh, and see what were uh, the, the shameful bits if you will, of mm. the story. You know, not just mistakes or failures, but things that at the time he took pride in and defended, mm. but l- looking back, realized, oh my gosh. I, I was, actually, I, was putting, I put this on Twitter today. I don't tweet very often, um, mm. but this came to me. I said, that one of the most bizarre aspects of uh, the Christian life Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, let me just quote myself here. <laughs> Perhaps the most bizarre <laughs> aspect of following Jesus mm. is that my greatest accomplishments, achievements, turned out to be the greatest obstacles to God's work, while my worst failures were actually mm. his biggest opportunities. Mm. Hashtag remember the cross. And this is the thing mm. that is... Um, fascinating to me is, you know, this is what I love about scripture, I've said before, right, is that you hear these great men who are pillars of the church, 
just talking about mm. the incredibly idiotic, horrific things they did, right? Yeah. Because the story is not about getting you to trust them, right? It's not about gaining mm. glory for themselves or setting themselves up as the next president or the next pope. It's like, no, man, mm. I am a mess. But let me tell you about this guy, Jesus, and what he can do with a mess like me. Mm. And that's the story we're that telling. You can say that about David, too, right? King David. Oh, I mean, everybody in Scripture, oh, yeah. with the possible yeah. exception of Joseph, is pretty much a total screw-up. Yeah. <laughs> well, Joseph uh, that total also, screw up. there's a human element to it. Right? Yeah, but, yeah. But, but like, he's, he's the only one that, like, you know, compared to, he, he's like a saint compared to the rest of the family. Right, right. <laughs> Okay. You know, uh, you're cutting out, Martin. You're cutting out. Uh, but anyway, yeah, anyway. More, more, more than one hour o'clock. Okay. All right. Great. Okay. All right. So, okay, anyway, love you. Love good, you. Dad. I love you too. Yeah, and I look forward to love your email. And then we will see what happens next. Right. Yeah. yeah give All me right. a week. Yeah. Okay. All right. God bless love you. Happy Have New a good Year. day. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.